Maybe I could be like an announcer, like a columnist. I don't believe what I just saw. You know how I always make those interesting comments during the game? Personally, I think we got hosed on that call. Yeah, yeah, you make good comments. So what about that? You know, they tend to give those jobs to ex-ball players and people that are, you know, in broadcast. What about a talk show host? This is In the Booth. Talk show host, that's good. <laughs> I think I'd be good at that. I talk to people all the time. With Matt Park. Hey, everybody, and welcome. It's a Thursday, second straight week. That means our last show of the week. Tomorrow, a travel day down to the Berg, the Orange and Pitt, Saturday, 1220. One of the easier road trips that uh, the team has. Uh, forget about the game itself. The uh, logistics of this one pretty easy. Easy in and out to uh, Pittsburgh. Short flight. Airport close to where you're going. And then a quick return to the airport on the way home. Very much unlike Clemson, which is an hour from where you stay to where you play. And uh, don't have to worry too much about that. Big NFL stadium and uh, very much looking forward to it on Saturday. We'll see if the Orange can end their seven-game losing streak at Heinz Field that started in 2003. Dino Babers then was an assistant at Pittsburgh for his one year serving under Walt Harris. And uh, obviously much at stake for his team in this game uh, going into another conference matchup where the Orange would emerge with a win. Uh, not only with a 5-1 and one overall record, but a plus 500 record in conference. They'd be 2-1. and one. Chance at the uh, national polls at that point, and uh, certainly going into the bye week with some momentum, and then would be favored in their next dome game against North Carolina. You win that one, and of course you're ranked at 6-1. and one. Ivan Mazel is a longtime college football reporter, and most recently at ESPN for many years, host of the Campus Conversation podcast. He'll join us a bit later in the show today. It's coming up in about 15 minutes. He's uh, bullish. Is it bullish or bearish? He's bullish on the orange. He uh, had a good uh, tweet after the game Saturday just kind of saying that he doesn't think there's 25 better teams. There there may or may not be. It doesn't matter right now. They don't give uh, trophies at this time of year, but for Syracuse it would be historic to uh, get into the top 25. We'll talk to him about what he sees a little bit from a distance about Syracuse and uh, the rest of the national college football scene. He would be a good person to chime in on. We'll start today, though, with baseball. Yankees in a do-or-die last night, and it couldn't have started any better. Luis Severino, however Aaron Boone wound up going there, it was going to be second guest and potentially a controversial choice for a starting pitcher, uh, whether it was Jay Happ or Severino, somebody else, and he goes with Severino had finished the season strong. Some trepidation. Uh, all the talk leading up to it is how quickly are they going to go to their dominant bullpen, and he's obviously going to have his hand on the bullpen phone as early as the third or fourth inning. And Severino went out there maybe a little deeper than uh, some would expect. Uh, Dennis Eckersley on the game broadcast was first guessing about getting Severino out of the game even earlier, but it wound up being a bit of a moot point because of how well the Yankees started. Severino dominant in the top of the first inning, a 1-2-3, bottom of the first, Andrew McCutcheon walked, and then Aaron Judge came up for John Sterling at the microphone. There's the 2-1 to Judge. Swung on, there it goes deep left. It is high, it is far, it is gone. A Judgean blast. Aaron Judge hit one. Over the auxiliary scoreboard, over the grandstand, into the bleachers, all rise. Here comes the judge. 
So John going through his usual judgy and script there, uh, I expected, having to be watching it on TV last night, not listening, I expected maybe a little more commentary from John given the huge momentum boost that had to be early in the game. And you can hear the crowd. They were on edge. Judge quoted after the game saying, look, from the national anthem on, this was a frenzied crowd. And that had to have relaxed everybody, Severino included. Orange, uh, orange. The Yankees uh, get off to a, a strong start there with the, at that point, 2 nothing lead, and they would only continue to build on that. Liam Hendricks, who was in not really even an opener situation for Oakland. It was a bullpen game for them. The opener concept is you're still using a starting pitcher. That's what the Tampa Bay Rays did this year. You still have somebody that you think is going to go five, four, five, six innings, but it's somebody you don't really trust against the top of the lineup multiple times or certainly not at the start of the game. So you bring in somebody to maybe douse the top or middle of the lineup for the first inning or two. Then you bring in a guy that you want to eat some innings, four, five, six innings. Then you play the bullpen conventionally. That's the opener strategy that Kevin Cash and the Rays and other teams picked up on this year. That really wasn't what Oakland was doing. They didn't have anybody set to go for any distance, and now everybody will be able to rest because their season is over. Good year for Oakland, a fantastic second half, and uh, they may be a team to watch going forward. They've never really been able to – I shouldn't say that because when they've been good, they've been really good for two or three-year periods. I was going to say they've never really been one to sustain the success because their parts tend to get poached off by other organizations. But uh, we'll see what Oakland uh, reloads with for next year. Anyways, the game went on. The Yankees continued to pour it on, and the guy playing in his first ever career postseason game was able to contribute right away. And here is the one-two to John Carlo. Swung on and drilled a deep left. It is high. It is far. It is a foul home run. Just over the pole. I think it went actually over the top of the pole. Wow. A Stantonian home run. John Carlo. Unosi Palo. He homers to left. And the Yankees take a 7-2 lead. John's confusion doesn't uh, keep him from embellishing with the full uh, needless Italian on the Stanton home run. But uh, in John's defense, you could see why he maybe had a little bit of pause there. That ball wound up on television. They called it a home run uh, pretty much right away. That ball wound up further on the foul side of the pole than most home runs that I can recall, maybe any that I can recall. So it had to have been really hooking hard and have gone uh, over the top of the pole. These two guys obviously hit uh, regular moonshots. And at that point, Yankee Stadium was uh, unhinged. And that home run by Stanton in the eighth inning made it 7-2. That would be the final score in the game. So now you may have heard that it's Yankees-Red Sox in uh, one of the two American League division series, Astros-Indians the other. And the American League is just much more compelling and more loaded right now. Any of those four teams you could see winning the World Series. National League, not so much. Rockies and Brewers are playing a series of two, at least around here, very nondescript teams. I would think if we uh, went and grabbed a few uh, random people out here outside the palatial studios of Galaxy Media, 
worldwide here in Armory Square and press them on the Brewers and Rockies and personnel and storylines, and I think we would come up very empty on uh, those two, two, two teams. But they've earned their way in. The other is the uh, Braves and Dodgers, considerably more compelling and much more star power in that one with the young Braves who are ahead of schedule, the Dodgers who have won their division six years in a row. So uh, should be exciting here in the MLB postseason. Hope you can come out to Press Room Pub tonight. Kirk Martin, the uh, Orange's quarterback coach, will be our guest, Coach Baber's guest, for the last uh, little bit of the show. His son is Coda Martin, whose wife is Jasmine Babers. By now you know that story. Uh, Kirk Martin was a very successful big-time high school coach in Texas. We'll talk to him about those experiences, uh, what he feels like he brings to the table uh, in the program here, and the transition he's making from being head coach at a big high school program to an assistant coach here and with the quarterback that he's got in Eric Dungy and what he has behind. So looking forward to uh, talking with Coach Martin about that tonight. Coach Baber certainly about the matchup in general. Programming note, we will have a Dino Baber show next week. Typically, in recent years, we haven't done shows on the bye week. We will do one next week. So if you want to come out to uh, Press Room Pub, those of you that have been in the routine of doing that, we thank you. And I hope you'll come out next week for a special Coach Baber show. Later in the year, things get a little complicated in November in terms of people going in different directions and basketball and football and radio stations and all that stuff. So we are lightening the load a little bit later in the year by doing a bi-week show next week with Coach Babers. Hope you can join us for that. You're in the booth, brought to you by Marriott Syracuse downtown on in uh, Syracuse and Utica. Hockey season underway. We could touch on that before too long. The crunch season is uh, coming up. Certainly Syracuse and Utica uh, have that nice rivalry going, a little hockey time. Today feels like a bit of a hockey day. It is a dreary one, kind of nasty to be outside. Might as well go in and around the rink, eh? Ivan Mazel, when we come back, of Campus Conversation, the podcast on ESPN, his thoughts on Syracuse, college football more generally, all ahead as we roll along in the booth on ESPN Radio. This is In the Booth with Matt Park. In the booth, good to have you along with us. Last show of the week with a travel day tomorrow here until 3 o'clock today, back Monday at 2, bye week for the Orange uh, football team next week. So plenty of time to uh, get into football and other things next week with no game necessarily. We want to welcome in our friend Ivan Mazel from the Campus Conversation podcast at uh, ESPN. Ivan, how are you? Long time no talk. Hey, Matt, that's because I haven't been to a Syracuse game lately. I know you haven't, but uh, maybe they can play well enough to earn your presence. What do you think? Well, I think they have been. Uh, It's been a, I would say, pleasant surprise Mm -hmm. for the first month of the 2018 season to see how complete, if if complete is the right word, the turnaround, uh, expansive the turnaround is. It's more than just the offense. That's my point. Mm Mm-hmm. Well, you're right. That's what Dino Babers advertised from the start. Hey, we're going to play a pace you've never seen. And, you know, he obviously from day one talked about being a complete team. But I think for now, that to me is one of the things you're noticing really is that they're beating teams soundly all three phases. They've arguably among the best special teams in the country. Pat Narduzzi's uh, opening comment on Syracuse this week was look, this is as solid a team in all three phases as uh, we've come across. So I think. 
those are signs of improvement. What, what are you seeing specifically from afar? Ivan, I know you were among those um, off the Clemson game that uh, started to throw a little more attention or interest uh, Syracuse's way. Well, there, I, a lot of it is just maturity, uh, I think. Uh, understanding what Dino and his staff wants, uh, them able to recruit to their schemes. You know, I, I thought what was interesting was during the game Saturday, uh, during the Clemson game, the, during the telecast, they showed a montage of Eric Dungy just getting blasted. Uh, you know, his, his first year under Babers. And, and some of it was him making foolish decisions because that's what young quarterbacks do. And some of it was he just couldn't get anybody to block for him. And what was noticeable Saturday against one of the best defensive fronts in the country was how little Eric Dungy got hit, which is one of the big reasons that, that Syracuse was in that game until the final minute. And what, leading the game until the final minute. Sure, and what you did see was a freshman quarterback for the other team almost make a Dungy-like play in Trevor Lawrence. He goes for another half a yard headlong yeah. and runs into the thigh of Syracuse safety Evan Foster. Lawrence didn't play the rest of the day. He did bounce back. I know you did some reporting and discussing that on your podcast, The Campus Conversation. The, he was back at practice on Monday. Well, he was, and, and and everybody can breathe a sigh of relief. But it was such a uh, it was such a freshman decision. You know, he, he's standing at the sideline, uh, being chased by very large people, and then he turns up field. And quarterbacks can't afford to do that, especially one built like Trevor Lawrence. You know, he's he is a, a wonderful athlete, and he's got a terrific arm and a good head on his shoulders. But until he puts some more meat on his bones. You know, that head's not going to stay on his shoulders if he keeps doing what he did Saturday. A little pro tip that I tell people, Ivan, as it relates to listening to podcasts. You know, I know what you sound like and your guests and other people in these podcasts I listen to. So I tend to listen on uh, one and a half speed or double speed. And I go out and, you know, I go out for a walk or my bike ride and I listen. Jimbo Fisher is the only person up to now that when he came on, completely unintelligible. He speaks so quickly to begin with that now when you're going one and a half speed, forget about it. He is a transcription nightmare is what we call him. (laughs) Those of us who need to transcribe his, his words. And when you interview him, it's just, Oh my God, this is going to take me a week just to get all this down into the computer. Uh, (laughs) But, uh, but he, you know, he said, usually says pretty interesting stuff. So that, that keeps you occupied, but yeah, nobody speaks faster than Jimbo. Sure does. Ivan Mazel is our guest, a longtime college football writer, host of the uh, campus conversation podcast on ESPN. You can check out his writing on ESPN.com and, uh, other outlets, uh, regularly, a lot of good stuff there. I wanted to lean on your experience, Ivan, from what you've been able to see, not just Syracuse, but in recent years, you know, Baylor, uh, North Carolina State, some of these places that have maybe been down, they've popped up. You know, Wake Forest a handful of years ago makes the Orange Bowl out of nowhere. What, in your mind, are the important ingredients if a team pops up and wins eight, nine games when they've historically won four? Uh, what's there, and, and does Syracuse have some of that? Well, they they seem to, and, and it's no great magic potion. I mean, we talk a lot about tradition and, and history and and passion. 
and, and that all comes down to a program committing to do to do what needs to be done to win, either in spending money or spending money on recruiting or hiring the right people. I mean, it's not all that complicated. And I think Syracuse certainly has the tradition and the history. I think the commitment has wavered at times just as because Syracuse, the, the area, has struggled over the last generation you know, economically and in a lot of other ways. And I think, you know, from afar, it just seems like it's hard to look at one without uh, making the connection to the other. But, uh, you know, now uh, they hired the right guy. And he has, you know, Dino has won as a head coach at, at two different places before he got to Syracuse. And Syracuse took a chance on him, and he has thrived. You know, I, I looked up the other day, I guess a couple of weeks ago, because I started thinking about it, who was the last Syracuse head coach to take a to make a lateral move to another college, <laughs> and you know because I I started thinking back and I couldn't think of anyone and it was Biggie Munn in 1946 so when Michigan he went to Michigan State. State and Syracuse hired Schwartzwalder. I mean it, it's uh, and the reason I thought of that is Dino is having some success and it's been a while since Syracuse has been successful and and I'm assuming other people are going to start sniffing around. There's no question they have and will. What would be your advice to the athletic director, John Wildack, to the chancellor, to the board of trustees when it comes how they might navigate a situation like that? Well, you know, it's not difficult. I mean, you have to pony up. I mean, you just have to try to match uh, the offer. I think, you know, the difficulties of the Syracuse job are what is your recruiting base and filling the dome. I mean, and that's not filling the dome for football. I mean, and and Syracuse fans eventually, if you, if you win, they they do come to football games. That's that's my memory anyway. And uh, it's a great venue when it's filled and when the fans are are supporting Syracuse. I mean, when the fans are rooting, yelling for Syracuse. <laughs> <laughs> Correct. Be the best way to put it. Uh, so, you know, if, if Dino gets a taste of that and they can keep him happy and he figures out he can win there, then then maybe he'll stay. I, I don't know. You know, it, it's been so long since Syracuse. It, well, let me put it this way. College football has changed a lot since Syracuse was last dominant. So I, I, I'm not sure that any of us know what it would take to keep him. Let's face it, you've made a, a Biggie Munn reference on the uh, show here today. That goes yeah. back to the 40s. So <laughs> There's a column idea for you, though, if you want to uh, do a piece on the next job after coaching Syracuse football for people. So Biggie Munn goes to Michigan State. Frank Maloney yeah. goes to sell tickets for the Chicago Cubs. Uh, exactly. Uh, <laughs> well, yeah, there were eight coaches and five of them were fired and two of them went to the NFL. So, I mean, that, that was... Uh, it's it's just sort of this odd little note that I sort of realized once I looked it up. Yeah, another minute or two with Ivan Mazel of ESPN. Saw that uh, you picked against the Irish this week, Notre Dame at uh, Virginia Tech. Uh, I'm not a betting man, but I thought Virginia Tech versus Duke, uh, the Hokies were a pretty safe bet in that one, and they won big. And now what should we make of Notre Dame, which is off on the horizon of the, the Syracuse schedule? They'll meet at Yankee Stadium the week before Thanksgiving. 
Well, I think Notre Dame is really good, and, and on today's podcast, Phil Steele basically laid out why I was wrong. So, uh, you know, I, if I were anybody else, I would listen to Phil Steele before I would listen to me. But I, I just think Virginia Tech at night, as Q's fans know, is a tough place to play, and you know they're going to have a good defense. They're young, and that's a huge issue. Uh, but Notre Dame's coming off an emotional game, you know, against a rival that has given them problems for a decade, and and they won it, and they won big, and, and to turn around and have to refocus for a an opponent that has circled them as all opponents do. Uh, I just thought maybe this was a good place to to go with the home crowd. Maybe I wonder if Biggie Munn ever coached against Notre Dame on the 40s. So now you just put me on that. I'll have to look at that. Or, or at Yankee Stadium for that matter. Michigan State was one of the early schools. <laughs> there you go. You know, when Michigan wouldn't play Notre Dame, Michigan State always would. So I'm sure he did. Okay. <laughs> I didn't expect a Biggie Munn uh, reference. If you can work in Aussie Solom the next time we have you on, I'll be really, <laughs> really impressed. So uh, I have a good times. Good to uh, catch up with you. Maybe we'll see you down the road. Maybe you can uh, work that one in. Uh, Notre Dame, uh, Syracuse on November 17th. I would love to, Matt. I hope to. Uh, sounds good, my friend. Uh, keep up the good work, and uh, we'll catch you around, okay? Thank you. Ivan Maisel of ESPN. Check out the uh, Campus Conversation podcast. Been, Ivan has been at it uh, a long time, covering uh, college football. Has uh, an eye on Syracuse always. A little uh, family connection for him up this way. So, uh, good guy, and uh, does... Very good work and keeps an eye on uh, really everything that's happening in the game. Big game this weekend on the national scene is Oklahoma-Texas at the uh, Texas State Fair. They play at the Cotton Bowl every year. Uh, Certainly Oklahoma favored in that one, but uh, we'll see if the Longhorns are game to pick them off. You got some Aussie Solom reporting? How about turning your mic on if you're going to say I'm on the Biggie Mund. He coached against them in 1950. Mm Mm-hmm. Clarence was his first name. Clarence Biggie Munn, right? He won 36-33 at South Bend. Still going here. Did not play him the following year. And he beat Syracuse and Notre Dame in the same year. So he beat him twice wow. in 1952. He beat Syracuse 48-7 to and Notre Dame 21-3. to Wow, Sparties were, in were good In an undefeated back then. season. Coach Mack used to tell a story about Ossie Solom, who I want to say played for Biggie Mon. I might be getting this confused now. Ossie Solom was the last of the centers that played with his back to the defense. Think about how much of a game changer that was. Right? <laughs> then you, you couldn't tell where they were snapping. You could snap the ball to anybody in the backfield in that way. And By the way, there was a team who did that this week. There was a – I think it must have been a college team. NFL team wouldn't do it. Uh that had two quarterbacks on the field at the same time, I think, for a two-point conversion. And the gag was, which of these guys is actually going to take the snap? They both were kind of in shotgun formation, maybe uh, two, three feet apart. Clarence, That's overthinking it. Clarence Biggie Munn went four and five at Syracuse before going to Michigan State. Just the one year? Yeah, that's what it looks like, 1946. Well, I guess he had the war. Lost, would have lost not fielded to the powers teams. of Dartmouth. Well, Dartmouth was good that year, Penn, 46. Penn State. That might have been Jake Krauthammel's first year. West Virginia, Colgate, and Columbia. Lost to Colgate and Columbia both? Yeah, back-to-back. 
Oh, I remember the firecoachmun.com yeah. website. They were really beating the drum for that, weren't they? <laughs> you lose to Colgate and Columbia back-to-back years. I'll have to go get my media guy. We'll look up the uh, attendance for a couple of those games up there at Old Archbold. Colgate game used to draw big time back in the day. He came from Albright to uh-huh. Syracuse. Well, Albright at the time was the uh, coaching factory, really, the cradle of coaches yeah. in the 40s. 51, 52, 53, he finished second, first, and third and won the national championship in 51, 52. So this isn't some clown no. we're talking about no. here. He's a two-time national champ. Biggie Munn. And Big Ten champ. First year of the Big Ten. If you had there. to ask me which Syracuse coaches I thought we'd be talking about on the show today, Biggie Munn would not have been the first one off my uh, off the tip of my and tongue. And Frank Maloney get a run. Yeah, let Maloney run. Well... No longer need to be selling Chicago Cubs tickets either now that their season's over. Oh, what a job that is. That is that has to be to me, that's so interesting. That doesn't it, it just itself, doesn't right? happen anymore. You know? That you know, I guess guys go into real jobs, but give me another example of anybody really that was a major college football coach. I understand it was the seventies, but that's recently enough that it were at least in this world. And then went to another sort of job in the sports world. I mean, very, very unusual. Something similar. I am doing a new podcast. Where Where are they now? Yeah, the Where Are They Now? And I got Mikey from the Life Serial commercials. Mm -hmm. He sells advertising for MSG, the MSG TV network. Really? (laughs) Yeah. So he's a big sports fan. That's good to know. Mikey likes it. All right, back with Do We Care next. Touch base on a couple of... uh, Wacky topics, including how Randy Edsel gets paid. Might have been uh, picking up on that. With started to just see that as we were signing off the show yesterday, and thought we would get into it today a little bit. And uh, whatever else they may have uh, dug up there in the back room, and do we care? Your phone calls are welcome if you'd like to join us with your Biggie Mun stories at three one five four three seven seven six four four four. ESPN forty four gets you on the show. It's in the booth on ESPN Radio. This is in the booth with Matt Park. Employee of the Month continues to be on fire. Hit the button, Polly. Interesting. I doubt <laughs> it. No, wait. The other thing. Tedious. But we will Can't do take this it away segment from... anyway. Nope. They aren't walking in to claim back that trophy anytime soon. I wish they would. It's just sitting here yeah. in our studio taking up space. 27 more days. Spent that 100 bucks on fast food on the way to Clemson. It's gone. <laughs> and on the soda in the vending machine. Yeah, it didn't go as far as it used to. Uh, Canucks forward Bo Horvat said the team instituted a Fortnite ban. Household name. Good old Bo Horvat. <laughs> I'm Jerome McGinless, he's still there? Oh, Canucks. I'm sorry. Canucks. I was thinking Flames. Canucks. Uh, Valerie Bure. There's going to be a sports radio show in 50 years from now that's doing the Bo Horvat era jokes like we were just doing <laughs> Biggie Mutt. <laughs> I, I cannot name another Canuck. I. Oh, uh, you know who went there? to play uh, for the Canucks, I think, is original Crunch star Lonnie Bohannis, number 19. I think he was a Canuck. How do we always digress? All right, go ahead. It's more okay. fun for me than this. Fair. Um, Lawrence Mountain went to Vancouver. Yeah, it doesn't count. That's close, the basketball close. team. Uh, so they, lovely city. So they banned Fortnite. Uh, and uh, a rival team, the Jets, uh, their star Patrick Line said, I ah. think they just needed some uh, something to blame after last season. The Canucks went 31-40-11 that year. 
Uh, is Fortnite a, a legit? You know, excuse? I would I would be more apt if I were the team management to ban it at home than on the road. Right on the road, bring your Do gear, you and if they're spending their time in the hotel room, they're not doing something stupid. Um, the carpal tunnel and all that stuff, but I think hockey players are a little tougher than than David carpal Price. tunnel. I don't know that I have a real. Uh, they're not sleeping issue though. That's with it. The I'd like to know more context. Maybe that's that's, that's part of it. That's definitely part of it. They're not sleeping. They're going to the hotel. They're locking themselves in the room, getting room service, and not sleeping. They're, or they're or they're going back after they, they've already gone out. Yeah, that's possible. Yeah, come back <laughs> at four Fortnite. in the morning. Yeah, they're coming back at four a.m. Playing. I would Fortnite. like to uh, know more about the parameters on that, but seems to me Fortnite's among. You know, that's a little tamer than the other things they could be doing with their time. Yeah, remember David Price. Uh, there were the rumors that his carpal tunnel, yeah. as you mentioned earlier in the year, cost him a start against the Yankees. Just had a flashback to the time that uh, on a basketball trip we were staying at the Newark Airport Marriott. must have been Rutgers or maybe Seton Hall. And Matt Rowe and I go down for breakfast. And there were a bunch of somebody that were playing the Devils. Let's say it was the Philadelphia Flyers. doesn't matter. Not, not that I would recognize any of them, but the conversation they were having and the look of, in those guys' eyes, you know, the morning after playing and probably having three games in four days. Uh, interesting life those guys lead. I remember uh, Hakeem Work was a big 007, like, uh, video game guy. and like he would GoldenEye? Bring, yeah, he would bring this system and play that all day in the hotel room. Stay off your feet, stay out of trouble. Uh, John, moving on, John Gruden keeps putting his foot in his mouth with this whole Khalil Mack thing. Uh, this one in an NFL.com piece from Mike Silver uh, saying that before the game against the Cleveland Browns earlier this week, uh, as he was preparing, he starts checking his phone and scrolling through, and he sees the latest Khalil Mack strip sack and turns and says to no one in particular, damn, Khalil Mack had another strip sack? Are you kidding me? <laughs> well, I don't think he's surprised that he's good. I'm just thinking any – decision you make like these coaches they all have consequences they all have trade-offs and this one really looks bad it's the same as the bills must have felt when they put nathan peterman in for the first time last year and he threw five first half interceptions doesn't mean it was necessarily the wrong decision or whatever but if it was wrong it couldn't have looked more wrong it couldn't have looked worse and uh sometimes those things blow up that's what's hard with these coaches they have to do it first. We're all second guessing, and oh, I would have done this. And that's often because we know the outcome. And in this case, uh, the optics of it obviously are terrible uh, for the Raiders. I don't. You know, you can debate whether it was smart to trade them. I think most people, right from the start, said it was stupid. But uh, it certainly is getting uh, reinforced to Gruden. I like that Gruden keeps saying, "Like, man, we could really use a pass rusher." It's like, well, we're no kidding. Yes, you could. Uh, and then uh, moving on, you saw this uh, earlier in the week, uh, yesterday, and then today. Uh, the USA Today coaching salary database uh, was put out, and and along with the the typical stuff of of you know Nick Saban being number one, Urban Meyer number two. Uh, there are some weird bonuses going on, uh, especially with Randy Etzel, who gets a bonus if you score first, if they're leading at halftime, on their points per possession on their total offense, on their tackles for loss margin on the defensive line, defensive points per possession, turnovers caused, uh, sacks, points per game total, and point per game allowed totals for the season. Yeah, he was pretty much working for free when he came back to uh, campus here, just his own salary. I can imagine Connecticut probably said, hey, come on back. We can't really pay you that much. If things go well here, though, here's how you can make some more scratch. It's just funny to see... 
here and there little $2,000 bonuses that could add up. Obviously, if you're winning, uh, these things add up uh, pretty quickly. I was just crossing these off. In the Syracuse game alone, the one he was here, scoring first, nope. Leading at half, nope. Points for possession, forget it. Total offense, nowhere near. The tackle for loss margin, that was minus seven. He should have to give money back <laughs> yeah, for that. Did he fine for that? <laughs> you know, Syracuse had ten tackles for loss. Connecticut had three. Uh, I do like the idea that the whole scoring first or leading at halftime, when you win the coin toss, you're taking the ball, right? He can get a little little scratch. I mean, these guys could lose $2,000 in their couch cushions, but uh, on that day, he did not uh, fare especially well on these uh, on these bonuses. Could you imagine that coaching strategy, by the way? He's like, oh, i got to score first. I want that extra bonus. And- Sacks, six, Syracuse, six, UConn, one. Yikes. Yeah, didn't, that was a 30-point loss. He was not uh, not picking up any extra scratch on that one. But it'd be funny if he scored first and then all those other – because it could have just easily – I mean, they could have gotten happened. a field goal first. You score first and then all those other things happen. Well, you, you still got thump, but you got – Picked up a couple extra You got 2K. Can spend spend that on your bye weekend or something fun. I'm more Maybe. shocked by this story is what Brian Kelly's making. Me too. Yeah, I was really that, surprised that I talked about that. yesterday. That's – first of all, when you look at these things, schools report their – uh, expenses and finances differently. Everybody's got different things that go in their packets. No way, whatever he ranks there in the 50s, there's no way that's that's how it goes. It's a private school. They don't have to come clean with everything they're giving uh, Brian Kelly. And I heard a couple of the names rattled off yesterday. He is paid less than the Memphis coach. Forget about it. He's, uh, he's very well compensated. He's paid less than Dino, right? Is that yeah, Dino's not forget Dino's about Dino's a, bu- no, a couple slots above him. And not, Herm Edwards isn't getting, like, that's like not Arizona accurate. State has... Cash, I'm guessing, to pay somebody. And yeah, could... although the Pac-12, the thing in the Pac-12 is that Pac-12 network has not really created the loot that the Big Ten and SEC networks have, so they they're not as flush as they probably were planning on being out there in the Pac-12. I also thought it was uh, surprising, and, and maybe this is just because I figured they they are more public. Is that the Army and Air Force coaches weren't listed? I, I would think that would be public record stuff. Yeah, right? and they do have different rules. They they, they don't. Uh, release their recruits you know there's just different i, I don't yeah. know enough about it but there's different things about how they report if, if you look at the in the summer we all run to get phil Steele's magazine and he'll list well here's the recruits they signed but for the academies army navy air force there's a little blurb in there saying like you know we'll get back to you check our website for this one because of the appointment process in, in the military we don't have or aren't going to share uh, these players names of course there's 170 players on the navy football team not sure why that is the case, but uh, that sounds like fun for the broadcaster. We had uh, Coach Stannard out at the uh, Babers show a couple weeks ago. He played at Nebraska. He said there were 248 players on the team when he was there. One more thing on this uh, on the pay of the coaches. Charlie Strong's making one million dollars, but he's but making, again he's getting paid. By he's his making pre- nine million a year from Texas. Right, <laughs> it's right. like. Charlie Weiss is still getting paid by, <laughs> by Notre Dame. He's making pretty good scratch. I don't uh, uh, really shed too many tears for anybody in the, in the on this list. Bobby Petrino might get fired major, as a fourteen million dollar buyout. Yeah, if you're in the FBS and a college coach, you're, you're doing all right, and you're not spending a lot of money either. Dino Babers can have all the nachos he wants tonight at Press Room Pub. That's right. He's a much healthier eater than that, but I crushed those nachos last week. We're back in the booth in just a moment. Thank you, Seth. This is In the Booth with Matt Park.
Good to hear our man Lucas Favalli on there. The promos are coming. That means the puck is dropping as far as the crunch are concerned. Can't wait to get over and check out the new building there. Baseball tonight, two games. The uh, American League, well, both in the National League, the uh, Braves and Dodgers. That one has much more star appeal. The other game feels to me probably to be like a JV game. The, the Rockies and Brewers, congrats to them for uh, making it this far. But I don't think anybody really identifies with uh, either of those Organizations, They don't exactly have uh, star power that rattles off. Although Christian Yelich is a total stud. and, and Favorite all-time Rocky go. Vinny Castilla could rake. Obviously, you, know, you got Larry Walker, Todd Helton. Ellis Burks. Not bad. That's a good one. I like him. Brewer. Uh, Nolan Arenado was one of the most talented players in the majors right now. Yeah, I'm talking our generation. Yeah. The real generation. <laughs> Yeah. Well, it doesn't necessarily your favorite doesn't have to be from that time necessarily, but Brewers it would often be is. Uh, Robin Yount for me is the first brewer that Cecil comes to mind. Cecil Cooper, Bob Euchre, Gorman Thomas. Ooh, good one. Jim Gantner. You want, you want to go? Bob there? Horner, favorite brave. Very good. See ya. Lights just went out. <laughs> Goodbye, everybody. <laughs>